ora, this is The Detail. I'm Sharon Brett-Kelly. Today... What we see is an industry that's, um, to be frank, is, is very much on its knees. Tourism and travel are in freefall. Big trouble in the skies. The airline industry taking a devastating hit over coronavirus fears. Kia ora, good evening. The new restrictions at the border took effect last night. By this morning, the first major economic impact landed... And it's hit in New Zealand hard. In New Zealand has extended the suspension of trading in its shares as it assesses the hit to its finances from the COVID-19 virus. An iconic Kiwi aviation brand all but grounded. We look at what's happened to a $4.6 trillion international industry worth $9.7 billion in New Zealand alone. Before COVID-19 hit... Airlines carried 12 million passengers on 120,000 flights every day. The sector supported 65.5 million jobs around the world and was worth 3.6% of global gross domestic product. But what is its future? When did you start to think, OK, this industry is in huge trouble? Oh, look, the clues started emerging in mid-January. Grant Bradley is the Herald's business aviation writer. When you saw the virus really spark up around Wuhan and just looked at the connectivity out of that city, when uh, the Chinese started winding back on flying out of there, well, all you've got to do is look at the history of SARS and just realise the interconnectedness of, of the whole aviation system. And this was always going to prove to be a bit of a problem. And, of course, it's more connected than it was uh, during the SARS time back in 2002. I think you had about 15 million Chinese tourists then. Now there's 150 million. That's right, 150 million Chinese people travelling the world every year. And more than 407,000 of them came to New Zealand last year. If the coronavirus didn't exist, we should be getting up to 20,000 Chinese visitors a week or at least 10,000, and that's worth about $50 million spent every week in New Zealand. But now they're grounded by a virus. It was always going to spread pretty quickly. The the only thing back then, there was no sense of just how dangerous and how easily transmissible this was. And what do you think of the way airlines have responded to it? Oh, yeah, you've you've seen these massive airlines grounding hundreds of planes. The airline industry is forecasting up to $113 billion in losses worldwide this year. American, Delta, United and JetBlue, all cutting back on U.S. and international flights. United says earnings will dip into the red this quarter. Southwest's CEO telling CNBC the airline industry is facing its biggest threat to travel since 9-11 because of border restrictions and, of course, uh, because people are frightened to fly. Who knows? Half the people in here could be breathing it in. You don't know. These giant um, airlines, they were doing very well, actually, over the last few years, but they've been absolutely grounded by this, and it's hard to know where it's all going to end. What about how New Zealand, Air New Zealand has handled it? Well, they were pretty... uh, They were fortunate in a way that they had a cost-cutting plan underway throughout most of last year as they saw demand drop due to economic factors here in New Zealand and coming into um, the New Zealand market, tourism was starting to level off. So uh, they had a relatively modest cost-cutting underway, but um, it wasn't predicated around a um, a cataclysmic event like this. This was uh, one of these black swan events that airlines always, in the fine print, they always say, well, it it could all change because of the pandemic. 
but they never really expect something like this. And in New Zealand, quickly scaled back flights. Grounded 85% of international flights out of Auckland, including four to America, Chicago, San Francisco, Houston and Honolulu. That on top of flights to Buenos Aires, Bali, Vancouver, Tokyo and Taiwan. Cancelling and now it's operating at a fraction of what it was operating at a couple of months ago. The Airline Pilots Association estimates the airline's annual revenue will plummet from $6 billion a year to just $1 billion. And then last week the government announced a loan of $900 million. What does that mean? Well, that's a backstop. Yes, you're right. They started with a few surgical cuts early February, then they really took the axe to the network. Yeah, look, the um, the loan that was announced on Friday, that, that's a useful backstop. They can draw down on that when their cash reserves get to a certain threshold, which hasn't been disclosed uh, at this point. But um, they do have uh, around about a billion dollars in cash and short-term deposits. So in that respect, they're a, um, in a much better position than a lot of their uh, competitors. And having a government shareholder majority shareholder in Air New Zealand's case is a great advantage too. How many airlines have collapsed? I think I've heard about one in the UK, but are there a lot more around the world or are they just kind of holding on by their their fingernails? Yeah, look, yeah, Flybe in the UK, that was um, looking shaky before this. All Flybe planes at Manchester Airport have been grounded after the airline went bust. In a message to staff, its chief executive Mark Anderson says the coronavirus outbreak added more pressure on an already difficult situation. There's a regional carrier that does uh, flying for United that um, has gone in the States, but look, they will be the, the, the tip of the iceberg you're going to see the sector decimated. There'll be um, many, many airline collapses here. We're we're all going to be surprised with the um, big names that we may never see again. Really? Yeah, well, look, historically airlines have always been a pretty difficult business. They don't really make sense in lots of ways. So Pan Am collapsed many years ago. That was a giant airline. But this event is unprecedented and it's a matter of how effectively they can hibernate, stop burning cash, and it's a matter of how long this, this event lasts. How can they hibernate? I mean, what do they do? They park their planes and, what, they have to lay off staff and then try and bounce back from that? Yeah, it's simple. They, by not flying planes, they're saving money by not burning fuel, which is a big expense for airlines. The staff expense becomes the main one. And the challenge is being able to be ready to, to spool up again once this event passes and be ready to get back into the air pretty quickly. So if you lose all your staff, that's not going to happen. So that's why it's a really tricky balancing act to, to know how many people to keep on and how many people they can't. And they've also got other costs, interests on big capital investments in planes. It's a tricky one for airlines. What do you think Air New Zealand is going to look like after all of this? I think I heard someone say it'll end up pretty much as a domestic airline. 
Yeah, look, yeah, New Zealand's going to look completely different after all this. The government has made it pretty clear. Grant Robertson was asked several times on Friday whether Air New Zealand needed to keep operating. This is very, very fluid. Um, we have agreements around minimum route coverage, um, both domestically and internationally. That stands and that's part of the agreement. But clearly, we're going to be in very regular discussion with Air New Zealand from here on. He's of the mind, and most people would be, that it's too important to fail. It's a national airline that will provide a domestic service to uh, fly in medical supplies, high-value cargo at the very least, and also be able to distribute that uh, around the country. A role in the uh, emergency response, I suppose, over the next few months. And, yeah, when this all passes, yes, it will be a much smaller airline that will start off again flying domestic flights and then if international demand proves sufficient they'll uh, expand again but that seems a very long way off at this point. In effect I think the travel industry as much of our economy uh, will do is we will probably talk about pre-COVID and post-COVID. That's Simon Milne, Professor of Tourism at AUT, which has the country's largest hospitality and tourism school. He does a lot of research on tourism here and in the Pacific. And I asked him if he was getting an in-depth insight into exactly how much trouble the industry is in. Yes, we are. And in the, in the destinations where we are working, of course, uh, we see that. And we also get uh, the feedback from the visitors. Um, we also see this very clearly in the seven uh, Pacific nations that we're uh, collecting data for at the moment as well. What we see is an industry that's, um, to be frank, is, is very much on its knees. Um, we've seen really the rug pulled from underneath it. The good thing for New Zealand, and I think this has already been raised by uh, different uh, people from the sector, is that at least we got through um, our high season period before the real impact, which is really kicking in now and in the last month or so, before that real impact started to be felt from the coronavirus. So we were able to, I guess, make some hay while the sun shined. Uh, the problem is now that we are obviously facing a, a complete shutdown of international tourism and also domestic travel. So this is going to be a very, very uh, tough period in New Zealand. But my concern now lies very much with the Pacific Islands, where they have been in their low season. They are heading into their high season. And many of those nations, for example, the Cook Islands, depend extremely heavily on tourism. It's a massive part of their economy. And we think, OK, well, we might be four weeks, at least four weeks in lockdown. But, you know, for a lot of us, the end is in sight. But not for the tourism and travel industry. It's not going to bounce back immediately. Or will it ever be the same? Well, those are, those are kind of uh, big questions, aren't they? I, I think the first thing I would say is clearly four weeks is a start. I, I, I think that there's, there is strong likelihood that we're going to go beyond four weeks. I think if you look around the world, I've been following Canada quite closely because they, they have some similarities with us in terms of this event and how they've been handling it. They've just increased uh, the time period for school and university closures. Um, they've been a few weeks ahead of us on that. Globally, tourism, I know the World uh, Tourism and Travel Council, the World Economic Forum are saying that um, once the pandemic kind of is 
is over or at a very low level of uh, concern. They're saying it's going to take at least another 10 months after that for tourism to get back to uh, a semblance of what it was. One would hope that we will we will move forward, that we will start to see that that massive uh, industry coming together again on a global scale. But there's no doubt that our travel behaviour, our travel patterns um, will change. And I think, in effect, I think the travel industry, as much of our economy uh, will do, is we will probably talk about pre-COVID and post-COVID in terms of how we look at our industry structures, how we manage tourism. Um, I I think there are going to be significant changes ahead. What kind of changes? I mean, I guess we're all guessing, but do you, you must be thinking about that? You know, we're in uncharted territory here. I think what we can say for sure is that the industry will bounce back on the back of domestic travel. Um, And sometimes, I guess, in the initial phases, that domestic travel may even be quite regional in nature. We may be encouraged, for example, as Aucklanders, to to travel to the Coromandel, for example, rather than the South Island. Uh, Gradually, I believe those travel um, ranges or spheres will grow over time. And gradually, as, as confidence builds, we will start to see international travel picking up again. Um, what, what we have to remember is that this is an industry that's seen phenomenal global growth over the last 10 years, really since the global financial crisis. People want to travel. There is massive demand for travel. I don't think that's going to disappear, but it's certainly going to be diminished. And I think just the level of confidence among people will change. The types of people that will travel will change. Perhaps we'll see one of the biggest growth markets in recent times has been the what we would call the elderly uh, traveller who's got money to burn and is relatively fit and healthy. Um, Those groups, you know, 70 plus, um, they're going to be thinking probably very carefully about um, how quickly they'll get back into international travel. Whereas perhaps it's the younger backpackers that may prove to be some of the first or most risk averse people to to come back. Mm. You think the cruise ship industry, which is heavily reliant on that older travelling population, will anyone ever want to go on a cruise ship again? It's a big, big issue. And um, uh, I was just looking at some JP Morgan forecasts and and they were saying, you know, uh, the cruise industry is quite strong financially in terms of reserves. Like they're, they're not um, going to tip over immediately. But clearly they have been hit very hard. A lot of the negative, um, well, they've had massive negative media, obviously, out of all these cruise ships with uh, large numbers of people in incubation um, or, or, sorry, isolation. Mm. Maybe maybe you could call them incubators <laughs> yeah, as well. Yeah, exactly. Um, <laughs> but, you know, I think of all the sectors, they will be one of the, the sectors that will be most challenged uh, bouncing back. But as more of us get into the hang of working from home, will people change their travel habits permanently? Yeah, definitely on two levels. I think the era of mass tourism may take a long time to recover. That leisure market, that'll be knocked out for quite some time. With all these airlines flying around the world, we had great connectivity, lots of cheap fares, and uh, with fewer airlines, especially coming back to this part of the, the world, 
we won't see that for quite some time. And, yeah, the um, corporate market's really important to airlines. That's where they make a lot of their money. And, uh, yeah, if people get into the uh, habit of Skype calls and Zoom calls, and that could be a long-term threat to that corporate market. When you say long-term, is it months or years, decades? Well, look, if, if people get into the habit of not jumping on a plane and going to a conference, well, they may get baked in. But there is a, a human want to have face-to-face meetings, and, you know, hopefully that will return. But in the meantime, I think we're going to be spending a lot of time in front of screens. And also the positive that has come out of this is that this has been good for the climate. Will that feature higher in people's minds when they think about booking a flight? Possibly this has been uh, forced upon many travellers, this way of reducing the carbon footprint. The other thing about airlines is that they need money to invest in the science, research and technology. And right now, no airline will be doing much um, research into biofuels or alternatives. So, yeah, once they um, do get flying again and uh, if oil prices are cheap, well, yeah, they'll be uh, burning as much fuel as as is needed to cart people around. But maybe the world's going to have a bit of a rethink about uh, how we use our resources after this. The good thing about tourism is that It is an industry that can bounce back relatively quickly. As domestic travel starts to open up, it can begin to respond. And then as international travel opens up, you know, we can begin to build back incrementally. We have the natural resources here. They haven't disappeared. Our our people are still here, and that's always been a major asset for our industry, our culture, our our way of life, our, our everyday life is appealing to people from elsewhere. But clearly it's going to take uh, considerable time before we see international travel getting back to where it was and, and domestic travel will take a long time to build as well. That's it for today. I'm Sharon Brett-Kelly. The detail is brought to you by newsroom.co.nz and made possible by RNZ and NZ On Air. Sadly, we need to take a hiatus. Our last podcast for a while will appear on Friday and then we're taking a four-week break. We'll all be joining the RNZ News team to help bring you up to the minute news on the COVID-19 situation. In the meantime, you can get your daily podcast fix via the RNZ Coronavirus Podcast. News updates, verified information, lots of voices from around New Zealand sharing their stories and questions answered. Subscribe or follow wherever you get your podcasts. Thanks to Grant Bradley and Simon Milne today. The detail was engineered by Jeremy Ansell and produced by Alexia Russell. Mā te wā.